0: Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Daniel, I am delighted to say that we are talking about
1: Rubadoo. So, wait, no, Rubaboo. 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 Hey, I'm walking here. (laughs) Right. Rubaboo is a common stew or porridge consumed by, oh, good grief coureurs de bois and voyageurs, French fur traders, right. and meti people of North America. Ah. The dish is traditionally made of peas and or corn with grease parentheses bear or pork and a thickening agent parentheses bread or flour that makes up the base of the stew. I have never heard of this before. Nor have I, but it sounds quite good. So it's peas and corn is like sort of your oat equivalent that's like your, your bo- you know the, the base of it, and then you're thickening it with flour and you add a some fat, like
0: grease.
1: Why? Surely that would. Hmm,
0: okay. Well, I suppose it would be sort of like. It's quite common, isn't it? I think, in sort of quite extreme northern climes and the cultures that exist in them, where they'll have soup. They'll have soupy, brothy things that will have a lot of grease and fat in them because f- mm. fat locks in heat. I think it's very, it's very common in places like Mongolia, where you'll just, you'll have soup, and there'll be just great hunks of fat just floating in the soup, because it keeps you really, really because warm. Because they're so calorie dense. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That makes sense. The Meti people. So I'm assuming this is pretty far north in North America. They, yeah, live in three, the, the Canada's three Prairie provinces. Wow. I didn't think of Canada having prairies. No, you don't. That's true. Apparently, the Prairie provinces are Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Oh my gosh. A temperate grassland and shrubland biome within the prairie ecosystem of Canada. Interesting. Yeah, I would never have uh, guessed. But of course, why would, of course, they stop north of the, what is it, the 48th parallel? What's the the border between America and Canada? Like, makes sense. Hmm. yeah. And it is the bit, actually looking at it, there's a helpful diagram on Wikipedia that is like, uh, within North America, there's like a, a blotch, like a Gorbachev birthmark. It actually looks a bit like a person with a very flat nose that's sort of smeared crossing most of it's in the us but then it crosses the border into two provinces in canada
0: but wow we're already learning what is this what has the podcast become this is crazy this is ridiculous i didn't come here for knowledge oh came
1: here for nonsense from two british metrosexuals <laughs> basically for the big cast is it's, that is basically what it is, isn't it? Because uh, uh, what, what else can I tell you about rubber aboo <laughs> so I can't even say the word with, with a straight face. Uh, apparently, the etymology is a blend of the French word roux, the thickener that you'd use in a sauce, yes, uh, and the word for soup in the Alonkouan language, "aboo." such as the Anishinaabe Nabu, Nabo. Naboo. It's spelled exactly the same as in Star Wars as well. No way. Um, I wonder if that's where the inspiration came from. Uh, although pemmican can be added to the, to the stew, pemmican being a mixture of tallow, dried meat, and sometimes berries, so I guess a bit like mincemeat, mm-hmm. rubaboo and pemmican remain separate dishes, but are culturally linked close to each other in meti history. I. This is one of those ones that every part of this article is a complete surprise. Like... I have very little in the in a way of any cultural touchstones here to draw on. This is the best kind of article to randomise on.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, and speaking of the best, Daniel, how are you?
0: Well, I mean, what a what a lovely, wholesome, hearty you piece of shit. segue. <laughs> you <laughs> bastard. Um, I'm, yeah, look, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine in myself. I think I may have picked up a slight coldy thing from my partner, but it's not very. It's not very bad, and I imagine it's probably going to be sort of like a 48-hour thing. I sort of feel fine. I just, I'm a bit sort of croaky and sniffy. But otherwise, I'm fine. I do, however, I'm about to go into probably, well, with probably one of the most stressful three weeks of my academic life so far, in that I have finals next week and the following week, and then the week after that, my... MSC thesis is due. So it's there's quite a lot going on. Yeah.
1: I feel that pain. I'm going through into a very busy period myself. I've got I'm actually in the middle of it to be fair. The past one, two, three, four, five six days I was traveling. I'm here for one, two, three, four days, and then I'm in London for a week, and then I'm back home for two days, and then I'm in the Netherlands for four days, and then I'm back home for three days, and then I'm in Oxford for three days, and then I'm back for a week, and then I'm in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know the pain. I, I, we I, I don't know. Is this just? A, is everybody busy at the moment? Maybe this is just. We're going through everyday people problems. Are
0: you? Okay, now this is going to be interesting on two points. Are you in Exeter tonight? No,
1: I was briefly in Exeter yesterday as part of my travels. Ah,
0: uh, yesterday. That's it. Because you know, I remember seeing Michael the other day, and he said that you were going to take some photos of the choir or something. Yes. So I was. I was down.
1: Literally, uh, a, a sort of. Two-hour visit. I was cool. um I was just just around to take some pictures of all of the new the scholars because there are thirteen new scholars this yeah, year. Yeah, it's a big intake this year. Very very big. Um, and they're lovely. They were really really lovely to meet. Yeah, great great scholars. So very very happy to uh to sort of you know g- get get in the door with that new intake because of course I'll be coming back from time to time to do video and I think in particular I'm meant to be recording the um B minor mass that they're doing at Buckfast.
0: Oh yes, that will be fun.
1: So, yeah, great great to touch base with them and obviously great to see Michael because that was the first time that I'd seen him since the wedding. Yeah, of course. Gosh. Which um has been sort of I'm still reeling from it, I think. We yeah, had a wonderful wonderful video that our videographer sent over of you know the day. There was a highlights reel and then the actual sort of the, the full service and the choir came out really well, I thought on the recording. Yeah,
0: I I listened to uh, I listened to that actually.
1: Well, rather watched the video. It was it was wonderful. I was pleasantly surprised because it's a very difficult thing to mic acquire like that mm. yeah so great stuff i would i'm and it's a horrible situation to be in actually because i really want to give promotion to this to the guy that made it but at the same time obviously they post samples of all of their stuff to social media as does the photographer so i can't do that because then obviously people wouldn't see pictures of pixel girl yeah. or depixelated it's just a bit like oh but i want to help but mm. i, I can't.
0: <laughs> the ph- I thought the photography and indeed the videography, but I mean, having gone through a load of the photos, I th- the ph- photography was ex- extraordinary. Really beautiful.
1: Yes, I think we
0: got we picked an absolute winner
1: on both fronts. Really,
0: definitely. Yeah, that's uh, that's been me. And how was your uh, little sojourn
1: onto the continent? Yeah, well, well, I've had two since because we had the honeymoon and which was wonderful we went through Paris we went through which we spent a day there we went to Lyon where we had two days and I don't know if I've actually mentioned this to you so we we were in Lyon and like the whole thing with the honeymoon was a pixel girl loves to plan she loves to come up with itineraries for things and um, unusually, we were sort of in Leon and it was like, right, we know we're going to have dinner, but we have no other plans. So we were sort of just walking around and we stumbled across a museum that had on the side Museum of Cinema and Miniatures. Oh, cool. Which obviously is like, I'm the middle of that Venn diagram. So, mm. you know, obviously we went in. And what it was, was a museum of film props and prosthetics and special effects, like physical special effects, which was like in a. Kind of way that I probably shouldn't admit in public, kind of like a highlight of the honeymoon for me, because they had the originals of uh things like prostheses from from Lord of the Rings. They had some orc heads there. They had the scene in The Matrix where Neo has the bug burrow into him, like when he's held down on the table and the bug thing goes into oh, his yes. belly button. Yeah, yeah. They had the prosthetic of Neo, um sorry, Keanu Reeves's um torso with all the hydraulics and stuff underneath. They had uh, loads of sort of prop guns from things like Star Trek and, and um, Stargate and Total Recall. They had Charlie Chaplin's one of his canes, um, the idol from Rages of the Lost Ark, and most impressively to me, they had one of the original huts from Chicken Run, like one of the chicken coops. Oh wow! So I was like in heaven. This thing, and and to be, and to Pixel Girl's credit, she sort of threw herself into it, and I think she really enjoyed it as well. But yeah, that was like a kind of a highlight, to be honest. But from there, we went down to Montpellier and Perpignan. And Uh. (laughs) yeah, I should probably tell the story on the pod. So we... I don't know if you know this, Dan, but French swing pools have unusual rules. Do you know this? I see. Uh, I've heard
0: things, uh, but go on. (laughs) So you... A thing generally in France is... is, it t- cannot... is oh, can I, before... before is, are you going to say something about certain times?
1: No, it's not times.
0: Okay, all right.
1: You cannot wear, pretty much as a guy, pretty much anything other than Speedos. Fine. And I knew this, and yet I'd, I'd forgotten when I was packing for the trip, because I think I had my mind on Barcelona, which is where I knew we'd end up, and I knew there'd be a pool there. But I think it was... Montpellier that was just so hot. We got there and we were so hot and bothered and we it was too far to go to the sea, so we just thought, we'll go to a swimming pool for like an hour and cool off. And I arrived and I and we first of all found out that you had to also in this pool wear a swimming cap. Mm-hmm. It was mandatory. So we had to buy swimming caps. And when they were like, right, how much is it to go in the pool? And they were like, oh, it's it's free today. And they were like, Oh, why? And they went, Oh, the till's broken. Mm. Fair enough. And that. That happened about four or five times across all of France. People did not want to take our money for for services and goods that we were try, trying to use. It was very, it was like oh okay, this explains a few things. But then I I got out in my swimming cap and it was quite warm, so I was just sweating gently, wearing my sort of Hawaiian swimmers, and was about to get in the pool and the lifeguard comes up and goes no, you can't wear those. Those are dirty. You you have to wear speedos or unfortunately you can't get it. And I was like right, well I'm. <sighs> I'll just sit here on the side with my book. Mm. And I was so nervous about... (laughs) I was so nervous about being told off for doing something else wrong that Pixel Girl went in, looked around for me and looked up, and what she saw was a man wearing just Hawaiian shorts and a swimming cap, sweating buckets, (laughs) whilst reading a book nervously by the side of the pool. I could not have looked more like a paedophile if I tried. Yeah, I bet. My gosh. (laughs) I was just...
0: It was like red leader standing by. Lo- oh, God. I love like, how you heard. So you had your swimming cap on. Yeah. Did you, you didn't decide to go the whole hog and just stick a stick a sort of goggles and a snorkel in as well?
1: I mean, I should have yeah, done. Uh, hello, hello, I am a swimmer. I'm just by the side of the pool. Um, oh, gosh, that was, um. yeah, that was something. of I was like, and then it was also like just getting there, like the buses weren't, sorry, the trams weren't working. And it was like the the phrase cluster is thrown around but that was uh that was a bit of a that was a bit of a mess mm-hmm. but yeah and then from there yeah we went to we had a lovely time in montpellier and, and perpignan and then we went to barcelona and stayed in a very nice hotel and that's the other thing with pixel she loves organizing and having itineraries yes. um, to the point where our honeymoon was you know like a day here a day here a day here it was like interrailing almost yeah and then we finally got to barcelona and spent it was either two or three nights in this quite nice hotel and she was like oh yeah maybe Maybe we should have just done this the whole time. Yeah. Like, this is a lot less <laughs> this is a lot
0: less stressful. Well nice but- to do that toward the end of it, I suppose. Yeah, it felt like a
1: reward for yeah. sure. And it was um it was like a reward. It was Hotel seventy in Barcelona. If people would like a recommendation, it was very nice. It had a very nice rooftop pool with a bar. Yeah, very pl- and you could see the Sagrada Familia from it. And like that building, going to see the um Sagrada Familia just blew me away. That's if crazy. Anybody- isn't it? anybody is going to Barcelona, you just have to go and see it. It, It's just... You can see pictures and you can Hmm. comprehend the size of it. But like to actually be in there, and specifically for me, it was being in the bit that's called the bosque, like the forest. It's just staggering. And I actually got... I did a you. I actually thought of you at the time because I teared up a little bit looking through the exhibition and museum mm-hmm. of how it's going to be finished and what it's going to look like in the process of making it. And I was like, wow, this is just... I've never been so emotionally affected by a building before. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Really something. So have you been to Barcelona before? Yes, yeah, a couple of times.
0: Oh, when did you go? Ooh, this was... So I first went uh, the... The year before... Well, the year of me starting university, I did a, I did sort of travelling for three months with a friend from Australia. Mm. And then I went to visit family when they were out there, I think, a couple of years ago on a holiday. I just went in for a couple of days. Mm. But, yeah, amazing. And, and di- I don't know whether... Did you do or have you ever done Park Gwell? Park Gwell? No. It's a really, really gorgeous. And, it, again, it's sort of all Dali architecture and things, but it's a really lovely public park. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's beautiful.
1: Oh, yeah, no, we tried to go there and then... We left the hotel and immediately it pissed down with rain. Like, yeah. I, I it seems to be a feature of Barcelona because it's quite near the mountains and obviously on the coast. Yeah. And I think that combined with the fact that the land is very hot mm. means that you get this huge amount of convection that takes place and these thunderstorms that happen quite regularly that are really short and sharp and intense and then dissipate just to get all of that, dump all that moisture out of the air. And we mm-hmm. were caught under one of those. So we ended up not going to the to the gardens. Instead, we just had to go to a lovely tapas place instead, which was such a hardship. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a hard life, isn't it? Uh, but the other thing that happened since honeymoon is we have now got a little angel in the house called Susie. And uh, she's a nine-year-old uh, rescue. Well, I say rescue. She basically her previous owners were moving out of the country and we uh, adopted off of them so she went straight from one loving home to another loving home without sort of the trauma of going into a cage and you know a shelter and things like that and um she's very skittish but she's very affectionate when she wants to be sure and pixel wife and i are completely head over heels in love i would do anything for this cat she's i would go and get her because she is actually a little bit talkative but I just know that I would piss her off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the classic thing of come over here, Dad wants to love you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just make a fuss out of her. She's like, oh, I just, just having a nap. Go away. <laughs> Gosh, exciting stuff. Then feels very adult, Dan. Feels mm. very, very adult. Yeah. God, what um, telling me. But um, yeah, and then and then the other trip I had to, to Europe recently I was in Belgium for the past two days. I was filming at the near Maastricht. Actually, I was staying in the Netherlands and then oh, walked over the border to a cement plant for a video filming about uh, unavoidable carbon emissions with a, a company that invited me out, which was a very cool experience, actually. Yeah. But actually, I tell you what, that, that does lead me on. I wanted to ask you this. So I think about this a lot, and I mentioned this in the car ride to the cement plant the other day, that if, the, if you were transported back in time, mm-hmm. right, and I'm talking 4,000 years, and let's assume that language is no barrier, sure. what would you do? What would you tell people that would try to accelerate like the development of civilization how would you improve people's lives the most what do you think is the most important piece of information that you could convey um and and i'm assuming you're going to like live there like you are going to be the man in the hut that everybody comes to with for advice and to to seek knowledge and stuff
0: Ooh, i wonder whether so like four thousand years ago
1: yeah, I'm, I'm plucking a figure out of thin air. Sort of, you know, early, early civilization kind of time.
0: Um, I suppose I would want to, if language was no barrier, try and instil in them the understanding of basic mechanics mm. to make life easier. So not necessarily sort of as basic as kinetic energy, but trying to utilise, like, hydro power, you know, like introduce okay, them yeah. the idea of you, of using, like, water wheels. And things and, and I imagine that just something as simple as that, I mean the knock-on effect that's going to have in in terms of development civ- development of civilization across the next 4, thousand years will just bring us forward probably at least six or seven hundred years earlier right mm. than where we currently are.
1: I was wondering if you would pick like a legal thing. Sort of the con- laying down the concept of like, I mean, what is the most fundamental legal... Because co- like Hammurabi in the Babylonians sort of had like a code that, that was like the first time that had happened. But like, how would you even construct a legal system from the ground up?
0: It's hard. I think what's more important than constructing a legal system for people to understand is an innate understanding of, of a right and then codifying that in a sort of legal sense, right? Mm. So I think actually, if you if, even if you did sort of... Try and, in, try and introduce basic mechanics and engineering very early on, the effect that's going to have on society in terms of the questions they're asking, the cognitive development that they're going through, I imagine that's probably from a sort of moral, ethical perspective too. There'll be a noticeable change there hmm. because people will be asking questions, they'll be more inquisitive. And I th- I've, I think it's probably, would we be a better... See, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we on the one hand... You could say that perhaps ethically and mor- morally will be a more advanced, forward-thinking society. But similarly, mm. that kind of an attitude of not necessarily brutal efficiency and advancement produced the sort of moral and ethical views of Hitler's Third Reich, which was yeah. you know so efficient that actually it was terrible. You know, and and the, and the and it's the same the same thought process behind eugenics and and you know. Other really but, really but, dubious but, uh, schools of thought.
1: Are, are those not the pros? The the, the natural consequences of believing that the rights exist, but then them not being universal, them being dependent on some quantity, quality like your genetics or your birthright or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. See, I think universal then gets slightly complicated too, doesn't it? Because by introducing something that is aimed to be universal at such an early stage, an earlier stage than has actually happened historically mm. then i think that may that that may result in an even worse case and a series of events leading to conquest and colonization and you know we will we'll, we'll no longer be living in this sort of globalized society but actually just all under one banner and from a point of culture and art and music and literally everything that defines a particular group of people from another aside from the sort of pre-imposed borders that we have and these are the idea of, of borders between countries i mean i don't think they're nearly as important as actual sort of cultural differences hmm. in terms of society and and attitudes and things then i don't know it's a it's a funny one though isn't it i mean it would be amazing to think like what would how, what where would we be you know how how, yeah. how much more advanced would we be if we introduced some even basic basic tech to because i i think like i i thought about this
1: a fair bit and i think the answer Well, what i would try and teach them is the concept of replaceable mechanical parts so like standardizing screws and and the idea of a measurement like the idea of having a a, a set of measurements that everyone agrees on that this is a meter this is a second Hmm. or whatever it is and just standardizing stuff because as soon as you do that if something breaks like it's not you don't need a craftsman to make a whole new thing from scratch. You can take a part
0: out and replace it. So basically what you want is Ikea, but 4,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. That's what I want.
1: But it doesn't have... Because the thing is, we think of that as being a very like... It's a capitalist thing, right? That, like that's that's the basic of a, a, a market w- economy that you have... You know, I think a lot of people would hear me say that and think oh, yeah, well, that means that suddenly you can have businesses that sell these things, and it's going to spur that development. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. That's just the way that we happen to use it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that that's just the way that you can spur technological development. It's not economic, but it's technological development. Because as soon as, like, uh, as cultures in the sort of... When would it have been? I guess 17th and 18th centuries? When that sort of development took place, that's when... That's that's sort of when there was a real exponential start to what we'd recognize as modern technologies. Mm. But at the same time, like actually being able to build a machine that, you know, mills mills screws or, you know, what's another thing that, that or, or Allen keys, you know, having having like a universe like to use the Ikea analogy, like an Allen key. Like just being able to make something standardized is quite difficult in itself. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm being ambitious. I don't this know.
0: is it's an interesting question. So one of an assessment I had to write a while ago for for a law and business module of mine the prompt we were given was for all the advantages of globalization the pandemic has highlighted the drawbacks thereof basically and increased the persuasiveness of a more protectionist argument hmm. and it was it's an interesting thing because you've got to you've got to balance as you say capitalist market based societies with there was a really good hang on, let me try and find it because there was a was a really interesting quote Yeah, okay. So I can't remember, well, it wasn't a quote, I think it's something I've written, but I said, global economies must be conscious of not losing their footing on the slippery slope of senseless protectionism under the guise and rebranding of smart reshoring. So the decision to relocalize goods and services Mm. Um, especially in the light of covid and, and supply chains like as soon as one thing goes wrong the knock-on effect is is enormous right so there's this idea mm. of smart reshoring of taking certain things and and interrupting the supply chain so that if there is if there is something that goes wrong in a place of manufacture and we so let's say in china and we want the product over here we can go well actually this product is important we don't need to rely on the supply chain
1: mm.
0: and there was something that said yeah, here we go. There is, of course, a perfectly reasonable and understanding source of this smart, reshoring, rebrand supply chains. A globalised world thrives on the simple purpose of trade. Have more for less. And I thought, I, I remember reading this and I thinking like, yeah, that's a, I hadn't really thought of it at that sort of a basic level. But hmm. that's trade, isn't it? Have more for less. Yeah. You know, like, I've got one thing, you've got another. I want that and I've got loads of this. Let's have a conversation. Any barriers that you put up
1: to that... Are for mean you you get more sorry you you're paying more for goods, with the expense being for the benefit of some other quantity or quality like the idea of it being from oh it's it's British pork or whatever it is you know yeah like uh, and associated things like because it's British pork maybe the uh, the protections on the welfare of the animals are going to be higher whatever it is like there is a a, a financial value that has been put on those other qualities Mm -hmm. and in a way by removing all of those barriers you are just making it a more free market which makes sense from a purely economic perspective it's interesting so it's interesting that we actually talk about this now because i just this morning recorded a video about crypto Mm -hmm. and could crypto ever be a an eco-friendly investment. And I, it should be available now on Nebula. It's a Nebula-exclusive video for people listening. And I basically come to the conclusion that no, it can't be. Because the thing about crypto is that it is a purely financial... It's a purely monetary investment, mm-hmm. right? Like, the concept of crypto is something that is abstract. It's commodifying something in a way that is divorced from utility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so investing in it is, is only ever a financial investment. And by investing in it you're doing two things you're basically not investing in a traditional way which is which means that you're not investing in a way that has utility so if i were to buy shares in a company if that company was doing something positive like trying to bring down carbon emissions let's say that they are rolling out electricity generate renewable electricity generation then the investment i've made has done some good there there, there is a real life benefit to it whereas with crypto you don't but secondly the whole thing with crypto is you're pushing us towards a purely finan- a purely monetary system where the yeah. only thing that matters is the number and you can't put a price on externalities like carbon emissions or like animal standards or whatever it is you know mm. I just yeah I've done a lot of reading into this recently and it's something that is very interesting but I'm, a, I'm painfully aware of
0: how little I know if that makes sense yeah it's an interesting question I mean I think certainly I, remember, I recall just having sort of re- read through the this last bit of the essay that i wrote was it was interesting that by the very nature of the question and the prompt i think they were wanting they were asking a fairly binary and in so doing expecting a fairly binary response but as we know in every sense of the world we we're not living in a binary world are we you know it's not a qu- we we don't have one of two choices mm. yeah what did i say yeah, as the wealth of society increases, workers in manual labour reduce and a shift to offices and desks take place. Any attempt to contradict this pattern is akin to likening the secret of success to, keep it, to keeping labourers on the work side and resting development entirely. But we do not live in a binary world of two choices, exponentially damaging capitalism and pseudo-conservative communism. A balance must be struck mm. between deglobalizing and sensible protectionism, especially in a world where ecology, sustainability and climate change are far more present and brutal dangers." Even when compared to the horrors of the global pandemic, innovative modern solutions are called for, perhaps even revolutionary, just as globalisation was decades and decades ago. Mm. But it, it, it was really interesting. It, it, it makes me want to read... Uh, what's the prequel to Homo Deus? Sapiens. Sapiens, yeah, I want to read that again.
1: Yeah, I, I've actually been thinking about rereading it, but purely because I read it initially. I think I've got a lot better recently, for some reason, at reading critically... Yeah, and I feel like I read *Sapiens* to begin with in a very uncritical way. I would like to give it a but. The problem is, there's just so many books. I I,
0: I can't. Mm. I, I I don't have time. <laughs> this is so true. I mean, I don't know whether you've come. Have you come across Mariana Mazzucato? No, I don't think I have. Mariana Mazzucato was recently interviewed on the Adam Buxton podcast, and which is normally a sort of comic uh, podcast. but mm. This one was just generally a really interesting conversation with a fascinating person, and she's a a sort of a sort of fairly groundbreaking economist. And she's written a a new book that I'm it's actually that's I thought that was what was arriving today, amongst some other things, called Mission Economy, A Moonshot Guide to Changing Capitalism. Mm. And she spoke about it in this interview and it sounds absolutely fascinating. And she and the 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 reason that she wrote this particular book, I mean she's she's written a load of them, but she said uh, there's lots of people asking the sort of what could we do better? But nobody is saying Mm. How do we actually do it? You know. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the point of this book. And yeah, it sounds sounds amazing. So yes, if you haven't come across Mariana Mazzucato, Mission Economy: A Moonshot Guide to Changing Capitalism, I think is a really in- will be a really interesting read. I'll put that a link a, a um link to that in the show
1: notes. I'll also leave a link to Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything, which is a similarly we really need to change our systems because it's really f- it up, guys. Yeah. Kind of read. But we—I've just realised now—we are getting dangerously close to actually being informative. And in in that spirit, I want you to please tell me what your choral piece of the week is, and get us
0: out of this section. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Well, my choral piece of the week—I mentioned it about sort of two or three minutes before we actually hit sort of record in our sort of mm. pre, pre-recording pre conversation that we usually have. And it's the Rachmaninoff Vespers. Mm. Um, because... Mm. Chef mm. Chef, mm, beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Um, however, very sad news. The reason it was going to be good as my... Uh, sort of a good choice for my choral piece of the week um, is because I was due to be singing it on Saturday. The, the entire... Rack Vespers, and then um, there's a couple of moments of sort of tenor solo in it, particularly Movement 5, which is the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace, um, which has a, a fairly extraordinary tenor solo sort of mm, throughout and over the top. However, I've just had an email from the administrator saying that the concert has been cancelled. Oh no! Due to a Covid outbreak within the Abbey Choir. This is breaking news on the card This is breaking oh, so bre- hot off the press. Yeah, so clearly there are enough... Members of the choir that are going to be coming down with COVID, that they either won't, there's, there's not going to be enough for choir, but also it's going to be a risk to anybody coming to the concert that they're thinking, look, actually, you know what, it's just better if we don't do it, which which is absolutely the right decision. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's a great shame because it, I was really looking forward to to uh, do it again. Although it does give me a bit more time to learn or relearn good, convincing Russian pronunciation. <laughs> it's not. It's not a a, a um. Not a language that comes easily to choral singers, because you just don't come across it very often. Not it's... really, no. Pretty it's, much to Rachmaninoff,
1: very... and that's about it, really. And a few other, I suppose there are people like Chesnikov and a couple of other Russian composers that we do come across. Mm. And, and the other thing I suppose that we should mention in this section is since we last recorded, God Save the King, the Queen passed away. Indeed, God Save um, the King. And we had a, a a treat, a sumptuous treat of music at at the funeral i mean we the chapel choir sort of group chat that we had was sort of live giving live commentary over the performance and uh you know what we thought
0: of uh, the uh, the music that was being performed i thought it was a fantastic service mm. yeah me too i thought the music was staggering in fact the most moving part of the service for me i mean the choirs both at westminster abbey and um st george's chapel windsor sang mm. beautifully but it was the bagpipe player in windsor oh yeah it just complete that was the moment where i i did sort of have a little cry yeah incredibly incredibly powerful i actually was depping at the exter cathedral the friday after the queen had passed that thursday so it was one of the first instances of not only god save the king being sung at the end of the service because the the structure of Evensong changes in a time of mourning for the monarch mm. it doesn't become Evensong song anymore it's choral evening prayer there's no Magnificat. It's just the Nunc dimittis. And then we, we sang a psalm.
1: Interesting.
0: That's the same psalm. Uh, Levavi Oculos, I will lift up mine eyes. And uh, also, one of the most peculiar changes was um, in the responses. Yeah. The cantored response.
1: Oh, Lord, save the king.
0: Indeed. Instead of, instead of oh, Lord, save the queen. So I, I was, yeah, that was one of the first... Moments that would have been done I Spirino.
1: I think that the, what made the the succession real for me was thinking about singing the National Anthem. Like, Because at that point, the first day, it was so kind of, you know, holy good grief, this is a historic moment that we're living through. And then suddenly, you know, what's actually going to change? And it's going to be, oh yeah, the next time I sing the National Anthem, it's going to be god save the king send him victorious yeah, indeed
0: yeah it's it's not so much the fact that king is now present it's the it's having to alter the pronouns which yeah. i think was throwing people off It's very strange but we yeah we it, it was amazing and I, I went to the uh there was the sort of county service of remembrance for the queen on a it was on a sunday i think two weeks ago at, at well no maybe a week ago at about three o'clock i went the whole hog and, and was in a full morning suit tales everything the whole shebang which went down Blimey. i think rather well but that was a beautiful service and the choir were fantastic the readings were gorgeous in particular
1: in particular i thought the um millen piece was gosh what was the name what was the text of it it was um oh i know the one you mean I'll find it and put it in the show notes I'm, I'm not going to be able to find this now because I've just only just been able to find a proper order of service. Yeah, something from the letter to the Romans, but yeah that, the, the MacMillan was great. There was also some Judith Weir earlier, which was normally, like as the heart is obviously we get the Howells arrangement but the uh, w- I thought the Weir one was kind of nice. It was, was alright um, and then the Parry, my soldier is a country. I think it, all, all choral scholars around the country was just like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> like an absolute cast iron banger for the middle of the service and um something which I didn't realize so we um as part of a group uh called the St Martin's Consort would sing most Mondays uh for tourists who were coming to to Exeter as part of our duties to the chapel choir and one of the pieces we would sing every week was O Taste and See by Ralph Williams mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that that was composed for her for, for Queen Elizabeth II's coronation
0: yeah and then was sung at her funeral is it taverna? I was singing Is that we, there was a there was a memorial service well a, a full requiem mass for the repose of the soul of queen elizabeth ii at buckfast abbey that i was singing at mm. um and we sang the de Ruflais requiem and oh yeah the anthem was is it funeral ecos the funeral ecos yeah the, that, that's the tab. um but i forget it's it's one of them it's it's either funeral ecos or the, or the other one that's very similar but a slightly altered text but that was written for the funeral of princess diana
1: ah and because because famously the, the piece that became famous from that funeral was the song for a yeah but that, but i don't think that was composed for the funeral i think it was composed previously it would be an interesting choice because obviously there's this sort of the fractious history between the queen and uh, princess diana to have that as at the queen's memorial service that would have been an interesting choice
0: yeah so it was song for a song for athene It is taverna's best known work having been performed by Westminster Abbey choir, conducted by Martin at the funeral service of Diana, Prince of Wales. It was published in nineteen ninety seven and obviously Diana passed in nineteen ninety seven mm. Oh, okay, so commissioned by the BBC the piece was written in april nineteen ninety three by Taverna as a tribute to athene Haryar. Hadiades, a young half Greek actress who was a family friend, killed in a cycling accident. That was it. I knew that there was yeah. some
1: personal connection. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. But I mean, amazing piece, um, and it was it was very very powerful.
1: It's it's extraordinary. I've heard it in person at a funeral before, at Exeter Cathedral, and it was really goosebumps all over type kind of moment. Uh, it's and it's and it's so interesting that as you said actually right at the start about um, the piper giving. That gave me complete chills. And it's so interesting that the human body can respond to the 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 volume and the majesty of a full choir singing something like Song for Athene and exactly the same way to a single piper in the silence. Yeah, I think there's just know?
0: something so haunting about bagpipes. Yeah.
1: And, and specifically, it was him walking away, I thought.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I was singing at a wedding a couple of months ago for a... I think the groom was Scottish and... As they were processing out, there was a Piper in full gear. He looked, looked fantastic. I mean, they all did. But the, the Piper particularly was in sort of high Highland dress with the sort of cape that goes up to one of the shoulders. And it was amazing. Mm. But he, he played Highland Cathedral. I don't know if you know that tune I don't think I do
1: there'll be a link in the show notes
0: if I it's can find great <laughs> I mean it's, it's, it's just wonderful I, I really enjoy bagpipes and when Andrew Culver a friend of mine from university and myself we used to go to the Caledonian Society balls and things at, at university and we would we would go in full Highland dress and do the Cayleys and things and there would be a, there'd be a bagpipe player there and it was done in the nave of Exeter Cathedral and it's just, it's just great it's a really it's a you know it's wonderful I've just really we are so far
1: into this episode by the way Dan we've got to get a move on yeah, we really <laughs> we've do. we've just been enjoying talking to each other <laughs> the, 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 the metrosexual conversations with Dan and Simon are <laughs> <laughs> So we find ourselves i'm pulling us over the border into critics corner and i, I wanted to draw attention to a, a book that i've been reading that i've been very much enjoying as my contribution by T- a guy called tom holland not the spider-man actor and it's mm-hmm. called dominion and it's about the development and history of christianity and it's fascinating
0: oh cool i think i've heard about this book
1: yeah it's, i think it's quite well known it's um i, I was b- uh, given it as a present i can't i apologies if i mentioned this last week i don't think i did Uh, sorry last time i mean but yeah it's it's basically i like the book a lot i do think it's making it's uh, this is what this is what i meant actually when i was saying about sort of reading more critically it's basically making the claim that a lot of the western modern western world it's including and especially atheism and uh, concepts like universal human rights Mm -hmm. are actually pretty directly attributable to christianity and I feel like it does a fantastic job of giving you the history and the facts of the religion. But what it perhaps doesn't do is provide enough context to really back up that claim. It does not provide much information about what was happening at this time in surrounding areas and in surrounding religions. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very interesting book to read with a critical eye on it because it's fabulously well written and well researched. I just don't know if I agree with the argument that's being made. But I'd highly recommend it. Highly, highly. Especially you. I think you'd really enjoy it. Mm, Interesting. But I don't have too much else to review. I've been trying to... I I mean, I've been trying to plough through my YouTube Watch Later playlist. Oh sure. Because over a honeymoon it went it soared the inflation it was nearly the same as the inflation in our actual economy Hmm. to about 140 videos in it and i've now valiantly despite the fact that it's being added to by about three or four videos a day i've managed to bring that down to about 90 something and over the past week i've watched approximately 30 hours of youtube wow good effort (laughs) but nothing in particular it's just trying to plow through all of these videos so i can stay up to date
0: yeah
1: been watching a lot of people play Plate Up, I suppose. That's sort of been the, the oh, big yeah, thing. Yeah, that's quite hot, isn't it, at the moment? That and watching Hat Films play Ranch Simulator, which if people haven't, people haven't watched, you're missing out. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I haven't actually seen any of that. Oh, Dan, you'd love it. It's it's vintage Hat Films. It's shat block level. This is a foundational text okay. of the Hat Films canon. I'll it's give it a, it's give it a watch. so good. Because the, the game is so broken. It's hilariously bad. Amazing. Um, Oh, I envy you being
0: able to watch it for the first time. But what, what have you been watching and reading and enjoying? Um, I'm still, I haven't been able to do much reading for pleasure, what with revision and finals and things, although I am currently going through Huxley's Brave New World. Ah, you
1: mentioned this last
0: time, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. I'm still plodding through that, just simply because I don't have enough time to pick the wretched thing up. But it's great and amazing, and I, I absolutely love it. I'm fairly up to date on both House of the Dragon... Oh and yes,
1: I meant, I was meant to try and watch both this and
0: Rings, Rings of Power. Power. Yeah, Rings of Power. Rings of Power. Uh, House of the Dragon is fine. Rings of Power, from a point of writing, is fine. But I I'm absolutely loving it because I'm a Tolkien lore nerd, and mm. I just love like the from a point of just visual spectacle. It is beautiful. Like the Thanks to this enormous budget, I mean, you get these great sweeping sort of helicopter shots of Numenor, the island of Numenor, and it's just amazing. And I'm really interested to see where it goes. There's moments that are incredibly cringe and 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 sort of don't make much sense, and the pacing's off, and it, it's not great. But it it makes up for it in in the sort of the the, the real sort of plot, you know, of the of the building of the Great Forge to um, to start making the rings and things and the discovery of Mithril and where Mithril is supposed to have come from. And it's just, it's so cool. And it's massively nerdy. Because I've not read The Silmarillion, and I, I think a lot of the criticism
1: I've heard of people watching it is that it is... Law agnostic it sort of deviates and compresses and moves things around but i don't know that second age lore at all Mm. so i don't think i'd notice i don't uh, do uh, do you know that particular bit of the backstory
0: i know bits of it i haven't actually read the silmarillion in in its entirety like as a sit down read just because i think it's quite a challenging read but there are very few who can yeah yeah. i've done I've, i've done enough sort of procrastinating sort of deep dives into wikis and read it threads and things to know a fair amount and yeah there is you know there there is some there are some sort of changes there's a current character in the show at the moment who's just referred to as the stranger we don't really know who he is it's one of those instances where it's sort of like is it is it Gandalf if it is then that's wrong because he shouldn't be there yet is it Sauron well it could be but we don't really know is it is it a, is it one of the blue wizards? We don't know. So, so it's it's very up yeah, in the yeah. air. I think one of the things though, and and where I can where I, I sort of can't tolerate any of, any of the being like, oh well, it's not accurate to the law. Is are people sort of saying like, well, why they're black elves?
1: The, oh, oh, and you're God. just like, oh, yeah. for
0: God's sake! It's a made up world. It's a, it, well, like, exactly. None of this is real. <laughs> and it's just so it's so petty and rubbish, and and it really makes me feel sick when I read. Comment threads being like, oh, it's completely ridiculous, and you know, and and I don't have any time for that at all. Yeah, um, but I'm really enjoying Rings of Power. It's the highlight of my week. When I finish watching an episode, usually on a Friday evening, I then, you know, I, I have the most amazing hour, and then I feel sad because I've got to wait another week. And if a show can elicit that response in a in a viewer, then I think they're doing something right, and I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, I I really do need to catch
1: up. Now I'm I'm uh, everything is starting to calm down a little bit after the madness of recent travel and wedding and things like that, so I'm hoping that maybe we can snatch an evening to watch some one of these together. Although it is also Bake Off season now. I've only watched the first episode, but I need to I need to catch up, because it is the Great British Bake Off season.
0: Yeah, I haven't been watching any Bake Off. In fact, I haven't been watching many of the series since Mel and Sue left, if I'm honest.
1: I do. It's it's slightly different, but I like it.
0: Yeah. I like Noel Fielding and, and Matt Lucas, absolutely. But I just, I, I don't know, I sort of fell out of favour with it.
1: Yeah, and it's something to, it's easy to sort of, but burnout overbake kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah it's it's not for everyone and to be honest like i'm quite glad that they're, i think they are i think is it matt lucas that's, that's leaving That they're, they're changing up i think the presenting team personally i think that's a good thing but mm-hmm. whatever anyway we are we, we need to keep moving down we're rampage we, rampa- we spent we dillied and we dallied and now we're having to rampage through the long grass in yeah. order to get to the end and the next obstacle in our way is patreon corner <laughs>
0: Top lot! And we now find ourselves in said corner, which is our opportunity to say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. Without Patreon and without our patron support, we wouldn't be able to pay for our hosting. We wouldn't be able to pay for our glorious editor. We wouldn't be able to plan future sort of meets between Simon and myself so we can film some stuff in person which is absolutely going to be happening very very soon as I'm approaching the end of my uh, finals and things yeah we've got a, we've got a date in the diary I'm, I'm looking forward to it very exciting so without further ado I'd like to say an enormous thank you to those who support at top dog tier that's a pledge of it's, it's five, is it four five it's five dollars a month five it's the same a
1: as a coffee every month to so keep this on the
0: air yeah
1: you take from that what you will <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so an enormous thank you has to go out to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codso, Colin J. Brown, Alistair Fortune, Eve Sharples, Lexi at Front Desk, Hasse Hansen, Henry Seventh King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naf Sam Harvey, Andrean with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian from the Alps, Amy Bonnie, oh. Lexi at Front Desk's Boss, and Carl Valdrot. I would also like to say an extra thank you to, I was in Oxford at the weekend and over Thursday and Friday the week before um, for my partner's master's graduation. And really annoyingly, I can't remember the name of the lovely chap who came and said hello. I think it might've been Sam, but it could also be Henry or something or indeed literally any other name, not those two, but it was really lovely um, to... (laughs) He's really narrowed
1: it down. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it was lovely to have a chat, and it was really nice that you came and sort of said hello. I I love it when that happens. So thanks so much for coming and and saying hi. And by my reckoning,
1: you had 20 names there on the team on top dog level. Indeed. We have 21 Whoa. top cats. Whoa. Top cats are, uh, uh, and you know, just take one look at Susie to know that they are the superior household pet. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's supporting at the top cat level. I would like to thank, let's uh, sort this way for once Will Jenis Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Lewis Hobden, Simon P., Omar Miranda, Oliver Burkhart, Nathan Flaherty, Leila Medina, Matt Maguire, Princess Andromeda, Jack Easton, Jean Claude Marais, Isabella Stralski, Izzy, Cece, Nafi Iftikhar, Dame Valerie the Third, Danvy sorry Dan, Han- I'm just so used to reading Dan Hanvey and abbreviating it to Danvy <laughs> Cole Mansfield, Christopher Betterton, Anna Anarifa, and Abu El the Physics Boy.
0: Top lad. So we start our correspondence uh, with an email from Rhiannon titled Cambridge Bumps. Rhiannon writes, Dear Simon uh, Dan, sorry. <laughs> Just, just, just tribal, you know. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Dear Simon and Dan, you said in the last podcast to send anything, so I thought that I'm that given I'm about to race my eleventh set of bumps in two days, I would share with you some of the best clips from our cox's safety briefing. Simon, I'm going to assume from Oxford you know what bumps, yep. torpid summer uh, eights are. Dan, I've written you a little explanation at the bottom of the email. I did actually used to do um, some rowing at at, uh, at school. Oh, did you? Or ah, when I was at St. Leonard's, they need there was some there was some of there were some events in the pool, and I would I would cox those, which is quite fun. I was going to say I assume you were the coxswain. Yeah. <laughs> um, for your viewing delight, or probably more accurately, a lot of wincing, they are a mix of Oxford and Cambridge. I can say that I know most of the people in the Cambridge videos are okay. I can't speak for the Oxford rowers. Um, and we've got a link to to some stuff there.
1: There's a, a driver. So I'm looking. I'm looking at the first slide here. We have uh, how not to cox bumps. Uh, the first rule: don't row into a stationary crew. So, but so just to give people at home a little bit of backstory, the idea of bumps racing is you have all of your rowing boats, and there are eight rowers and a coxswain who tells people what to do in each boat. You line them up, and each boat is a certain distance apart from each other. And the idea is you, you're you in a ranking. The top boat is at the, the head of the river and the bottom rank boat boat is at the bottom of the river. And you progress up that ranking by rowing faster than the boat in front of you such that you touch the other boat. That's that You bump them. And if you do so, then you leapfrog them in the rankings for the next race. And mm-hmm. there, there are various different tournaments for this in Oxford and Cambridge. I know it as torpids and as summer eights, whereas Cambridge it's... I don't know, loop, La La Lopu Land or whatever, and there there are variants on it where basically if you bump, then you will always depart from the the racing line. In some versions, if you get bumped, you also depart from the racing line, which means that it's actually very challenging. If somebody gets bumped in front of you, there's suddenly a load of water to make up, and you have to you know catch up to the to about three positions in front of you, which is really tough. And it is, and it takes place over a approximately two kilometer, I think, track. I may be wrong on that front, but it's a grueling, it's a it's a, it's a a really grueling uh, experience to be part of this. I did Torpids once and it was, yeah, tough. But the, but the first rule that we have is that you don't row into a stationary crew for, I think, obvious reasons. Can yes. you
0: describe what we're looking at in the video, Dan? Uh, well, we've got, oh, hang on my safari's crashing is... i might have to hand over back to you sure uh well this is this is oh my god no oh no
1: Ah! oh that's awful okay so um uh now what crew is that is that it's the resolution of the video is pretty bad so i think it might be
0: oh gosh i've seen it now yes
1: yeah. Oh, that's bad. Um, so we have a crew in front. I wish I could tell you the college, but I can't. It's too low resolution. That uh, unfortunately, uh, are misdirected and they plow straight into the bank of the at the river. Uh, and then a boat that's racing right behind them sees them as an easy target, and they plow straight into the side like a Roman trireme and all of the oars on the left-hand side just clatter against the heads of people. And then there's another collision with another boat that does exactly the same thing into the second boat. And they're klaxoned. But a race is you stop when a klaxon happens, which, which quite frequently would be somebody falls into the river or there's a blockage. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely a klaxon event. Oh, that was hard to watch. Is there another one? Yeah, we've got more of these. We've got a magic rudder. Oh, I think I can see what's going to happen here. We've yeah. got two boats that are going at fair speed and one of them s- manages to steer, the other one does not and torpedoes straight into the- another boat that's stopped on the side of the river. Uh, What's this next one? Oh, another magic rudder. It's very exciting. You can see in, in these clips, you can hear the excitement. Oh,
0: gosh. Slide five tunnel vision is absolutely brutal. Right, I'm going to skip immediately ahead to this. oh oh
1: my god
0: yeah what happened give us a description dan so again we've got a sort of stationary we've got a stationary boat at an angle in the water with its sort of rear end sticking out into the middle of the river and a secondary boat that's fairly far on the right bank just powering forward not taking any prisoners and well they lose their front end the boat the front end of the boat snaps and in, and sort of in so doing impales two of the two of the rowers on the two of the rows on the stationary boat god that's brutal yeah wow that
1: stationary boat is new college from the colors and the red boat is might be st cats i'm not sure again these are quite low resolution videos that i've never seen it snap quite like that before it's literally like watching compet- like competing triremes. it's really something Dear me. This must be Cambridge, this last one. Uh Uh-oh. I'm pretty sure I just saw an oar snap. Sorry, a blade snap in that last one. That seems to be the same college as the previous one. (laughs) I've just noticed they're not having this one college that apparently is incredibly accident-prone. I'm going to choose to believe that's St. John's, because I don't like St. John's. Nobody likes St. John's. Even people at St. John's.
0: And and So all of of that glorious footage was sent to us from... uh, Rhiannon, approximately 0.23 Queen Elizabeths. Thank you so much, Rhiannon, that was extraordinary. And I will be watching those back again.
1: There's also a crab, that we have a, a, a la- one last video from them, which is a Corpus Crab with music. So this is Corpus Christi College in uh, Cambridge and someone is, interestingly um, there is a boat where people are rowing in hard hats and somebody catches a crab, which is to say their blade gets stuck in the water and in they go. <laughs> they the force of the, the the boat is going so fast <laughs> the boat's going so fast that their paddle gets pinned into them and it forces the rower out of the boat and into the water amazing and somebody has set this to the shit loot version <laughs> version I've just watched it again of the of the twentieth uh, century Fox titles. Whoa. glorious piece of art, completely Love glorious. That. Chef's kiss all round. <laughs> I'll give my compliments to the chef. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! And then I would just like to read one quick email just to round off the show today from a certain Matthew Can. Ah, Professor <laughs> Professor Can. Uh, reading. Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, thank you ever so much for the shout-out in your most recent episode. I'm only just catching up on my pods as I've been slightly under the weather recently and listening to my pods while on a treadmill. Ah, someone's following in the footsteps of a Trim Noon. You are most welcome, and it was a complete pleasure to have sung at yours and Pixel Wife's Spectacular Day. The music was awesome, delivered impeccably by M. Graham, Esquire. May I wish you many years of happy married life, generally getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> Yours, Professor Kan. Lovely. Aged, I'm rubbish at formula and maths in general, yet I'm about to enter my sixth decade very soon. Yikes. Oh, thank you, Matt, for, for messaging in. That's that's wonderful. That thing, well, thank you. Again, as we said in the episode, thank you so much for singing for us. You made a huge contribution and we really, really do appreciate it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that we've been making your workouts that little bit worse by having to
0: listen to Dan. <laughs> so, Simon, what have we learned today? Today, Dan, we learned about Rababoo we have. oh yeah of course i completely yeah, forgot I about that <laughs> we got into like economics and and uh, changing the course of the history of civilization and-
1: yeah we went deep. We went, we, we yeah, went really a, deep today. But, but we started tangent. <laughs> talking about a common stew or porridge uh, consumed by French fur traders and the Metis people of North America. Of we uh, so. And then, yeah, we, we really went off on one. This is one of the all-time greats for tangents,
0: I think, yeah. today. <laughs> Amazing. We also, I, I mentioned um, my choral piece of the week, the Rachmaninoff Vespers, that I sadly won't be singing on Saturday, but I'm sure I'll be able to sing it again at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. And, I mean, gosh, I mean, I talked about humankind. We talked about the rings of power. We, we There was a lot of talking. If there you made so it through to the talking. end, congratulations. Yeah, bravo. So, Give you yourself know,
0: a pat on the back or something. You can You've print out your well.
1: Pokedex certificate. Um,
0: well done. <laughs> and that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord. And if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Thoughts on how you would change
1: the course of human history if you went back in time. Thoughts on the House of the Dragon Hand Rings of Power and other thoughts on the show can be sent to
0: us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole and, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. time. We need to get t-shirts. I mean, we do. Well, we we already did to be fair. <laughs> t-shirts and mugs and jumpers and car stickers and uh, the whole thing, the whole thing. A puzzle. Let's do a Wikicast puzzle, but it's just a yellow it's just a yellow square. No, 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 it's not. We don't even have our faces on it. It's just a completely <laughs> yellow square.
1: But we remove one random piece from each box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: oh can so we please do that That's such a good use of the money that <laughs> that comes into yeah. this thing
1: I could think of nothing better. <laughs> <laughs>